the service. And so um, I wanted to uh, just begin this way. You know, for, for the past 18 years, we have uh, worked through probably 20 plus books that we find in the Bible. And sometimes as we've worked through those particular books, uh, we've covered maybe more than even one chapter at a time. That was pretty rare. Some of you would say, yeah, I don't remember those. Uh, most of the time, we're covering about a paragraph, you know, uh, several verses that, that makes the point that needs to be made in that section of the letter or that story that we find in the gospel or whatever. So today we're going to do something that, that if we've ever done it before, I, I don't know, but we're going to look at one word out of one verse and focus on that. And we're gonna be in Titus chapter one, and we're gonna find this word in verse five. And uh, particularly, we're gonna actually spend a couple of weeks thinking about this particular word. But in Titus chapter one, verse five, we read this. This is why I, that is Paul writing, this is why I, Paul, left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The key word we're going to focus on today is that word elders. That you are to appoint elders. As we mentioned last week, Titus had stayed behind on the island of Crete. Him and Paul had worked together at least for a season. And Paul left. Titus remained behind so that he could help uh, bring order to the churches that were forming and so that he could particularly establish elders in each of those churches. And so today we're going to look at what Scripture has to say about elders, and we're going to begin by defining that. You know, in our denomination, which is, is Baptist, we're an independent Baptist church, the term elder is seldom used. When we hear the term elder, uh, we think of uh, some old person uh, maybe they wear a robe, maybe they walk with a cane, maybe they talk like Yoda they do, you know, something along those lines. We, we tend to glorify this idea. But, but here in Titus 1.5 and in several other places in the New Testament, the term elder is used as a title for those who lead in the church. Those who lead in the church. Now, the Greek term that we find here is the word presbyteros. Now, some of you are like, that, that kind of sounds familiar. And uh, if you're familiar with Christian denominations, you know that there is a Presbyterian denomination, and they take their denominational title from this particular Greek word uh, because of the way they are governed. They feel like this word describes well the governing of their church, and so they use the term Presbyterian. If you'll indulge me, I want to just show you a few places in Scripture where this term is used. You, you can turn to these if you'd like. There's only a couple. But first, Timothy 5, verse 17. That's an easy one to get to if you're in Titus. You just got to go back a couple of pages. First Timothy 5, verse 17. Notice here that Paul offers this instruction to Timothy. He says, Timothy, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And then if you jump down another verse or so, it says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Did you notice the way Paul describes the elders? He describes them as the ones who rule, the ones who lead, the ones who have a position of authority within the church. 
Uh, this reference will be simple. Uh, you don't have to turn here. James 5, verse 14. James offers this encouragement and instruction. He says, Is anyone among you sick? Well, let him call for the elders, the elders to come, the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Let him call for the leadership of the church. Not only are they the ones who rule or maybe the ones who have authority, but they also have a spiritual leadership that needs to be on display in situations as James is describing. In Acts 20 uh, and verse 17, and really this whole chapter, Paul, he calls the elders from the church at Ephesus to come and meet him in Miletus. He wants to offer them encouragement. He wants to warn them about what is to come. He doesn't call the whole church to come and meet him. He calls the leadership of the church so that he can offer them one more bit of instruction, some more uh, edification and encouragement before he goes to Jerusalem for what he already knows will be his last time there in Jerusalem. And then there's 1 Peter 5, and I'm going to ask you to turn here with me. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. I'll give you a moment to get there. First Peter 5, verse 1. Peter writes this, he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, Peter considers himself to be an elder, and witnesses of the suffering Jesus as well as partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Here's what he exhorts them. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly and not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble." Now, the one thing that I want you to notice uh, in this text this week, which, by the way, we're going to look more extensively at this text next week and just consider what are the responsibilities of an elder. But I want you to notice this week from the text how Peter uses the term elder and shepherd interchangeably. He uses the term elder, shepherd, and even overseer interchangeably in this particular passage. In other words, an elder is a shepherd, and a shepherd is an elder. And so you, you may be thinking at this point, well, an elder then sounds a lot like a pastor. And if that's what you're thinking, you are correct. That's what I'm trying to point out this morning. That's where Peter's description helps us to connect those dots. A pastor, a pastor is a shepherd. Th those terms are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. Um, that, that's not only a title, but it's a description of what the pastor is supposed to do. The pastor is to care for the sheep, to make sure that the sheep are fed and protected. It's a really great picture, actually, that we have in the New Testament. And so pastors are elders. But I do want to throw one more term at you, uh, one more Greek term at you. It's the word episcopus, episcopus. 
Now, this word is most notably used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, where Paul gives Timothy the qualifications for an overseer or an episcopus. If anyone, here's what it reads, if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, that's that term episcopus, he desires a noble task. And from there, Paul goes on to describe those qualities that must be involved and inherent in the life of those who would be an overseer. Now, sidebar again, you're thinking, Episcopus, that sounds familiar too. Well, the Episcopal Church, which is the United States version of the Church of England, uh, the Anglican Church, they get their name from this particular Greek word, again, based upon the style of government that they have within their churches. So let me draw the conclusion that most of you have already drawn. Elder, then pastor and shepherd, and then overseer are all terms and titles that describe the same office. This is what we see in the New Testament. They describe the same person. So to put it more simply, I am the pastor, the overseer, uh, the, the elder at Meadowview Baptist. I remember one year at youth camp, it was back when uh, it was like Elijah and, and Nick and Nathan, I don't even know if you were there yet, man, but um, they were like, what do, we, what do we call you here? Like, are we supposed to call you pastor? And I'm like, well, there's, there's a lot of biblical titles you could call me. You could call me, you know, overseer, bishop, elder. I gave them the Greek words, and so all week they would walk around and call me different names or try to go through all, like, eight different names during that week, a, a memory that I'll never forget. Um, still today, uh, or in recent uh, years, they've, they've brought that back up, but... Uh, that's, that's the idea. That's what we see. But, but what I, I hope strikes you as odd about that statement, me saying I am the pastor, the elder, uh, the overseer here at Meadowview, is considering all of these other passages that we've looked at. Because, because in Titus 1.5 even, Paul, Paul doesn't in, 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 say establish an elder. He says establish elders. Uh, he doesn't invite an elder from Ephesus. He invites the elders from Ephesus. Um, Peter is writing to the elders. It, it, it's, it's always in the plural, never in the singular. And so I want to talk to you in the time we have left about this idea of plurality of elders, meaning more than one. Now most of us are familiar with, with what we would know as like the single pastor model within a church. You've got your senior pastor or your lead pastor, and if the church gets big enough, then you, you hire in a, a youth pastor, or, or now we've got executive pastors, uh, pastors for the worship arts. I love how, how creative we're getting uh, with all of these different titles in churches. Uh, but you, you bring on more staff, essentially, that are there to help the lead pastor, the bigger the church gets. And I'm not trying to bash that model. I'm not saying that that model uh, doesn't help. But, but I do not believe that is the model that Paul has in mind and that we see when we begin to look throughout the New Testament. The model that seems most likely is a group, the number's not specified anywhere, but a group of qualified men who lead and shepherd the church together in unity. It doesn't mean uh, that all of the elders are, are paid for their responsibilities. There's some terms that help to define this out and lay this out for us. Uh, elders who, who are not paid, they, they work another job, 
but they still shepherd and they care for the flock. They're often called lay elders. And then those who are paid as they shepherd the flock, working with all of the other elders, are typically called staff elders. Such as myself, I would be considered a staff elder or the staff elder here at Meadowview Baptist Church. And so before we move any further, I want to I want to introduce to you Dave Harvey in his book, The Plurality Principle. He offers some encouragement here because I know this is a foreign idea for many of us, but I want to share with you just some of the things that he writes in his book. Many of these things are in your bulletin, so I'm going to work rather quickly through them. They're pretty self-explanatory, but here's what he writes. He says, the New Testament term for pastor, overseer, elder are never used to talk about a single leader ruling or governing the church alone. And that's a pretty bold statement. They're, they're never used in that regard. Instead, they're used to reference plural leadership. And he gives examples, some of which we've already talked about, but you can follow along in your bulletin. Elders, that is plural, are appointed in every church in Acts 14. Every church has elders. The elders, plural, and apostles work together to resolve major conflict in Acts chapter 15. You remember when they were trying to figure out, hey, how do we deal with all these non-Jewish people who are coming to Jesus? The elders and the apostles got together to work that out. Overseers, plural, shepherd the flock in Ephesus, Acts 20. Philippians 1.1, Paul writes to the overseers, plural, of that Philippian church. The council of elders, plural, laid their hands on Timothy as he was inducted into ministry. And there's a few others that are mentioned that we've already addressed. And so we, we see from the pages of the New Testament that the plurality of elders principle, it holds up. It's what we see modeled in the New Testament. And so how does it work? Well, qualified men, we'll, we'll see those qualifications in the weeks to come. We're going to work through those qualifications. They are established as elders, and therefore they're positioned to work together to lead, oversee, and care for the flock. That's how it works. If we consider our current situation, I, the lone elder, have been positioned to lead, to oversee, and to care for the flock. But I'll be honest with you, uh, I've always struggled with that because it's not easy to do that alone all the time. And, and sometimes even in the past, there's been power that I've had to make decisions that even in that moment I thought, man, this could go horribly wrong. It would be very good to have others alongside me who are qualified and called in position to help make these kinds of decisions. By God's grace, he has been gracious and he has been merciful with us as a church. Uh, but this is not an area either that I have been silent on. Any of you who have joined this church in the last 15 years and gone through our Meadowview class, I have been very forthright with you that this is the direction I wanted to see our church go. I wanted us to move into this and now I do believe it's time for us to move in this direction. And a fair question you may have is, well, why? Why, why is this model better than, than what we have right now? And again, I want to I let Dave Harvey interject some points that he words better than I can. And I want to just give you some reasons why I feel this is a good model, why the scriptures teach this as a good model as well. 
First of all, I, I like this point that plurality reflects for us uh, the unity, uh, the co-equality, and the community that we find in the Trinity. You know, that thing that's so hard for us to grasp sometimes, how does this work? I mean, they're, they're all God, they're all equal, but they have different personalities. Well, a plurality of elders is meant to help display that in a church. Co-equal, different personalities, but the same responsibilities as they play out and fulfill their roles. Two, plurality embodies and expresses the New Testament principle of interdependence and diversity of gifts. You know, our, our, our catechism question this week speaks of the spirit that, that gives us and equips us with gifts. Um, I don't have all the gifts. You don't have all the gifts. That's the beauty of the body of Christ, that we are interdependent upon each other. And even when it comes to leadership, which I'm called to, I don't have all the gifts. I don't embody all of those. Let me, let me read this next one. Plurality acknowledges human limitations and recognizes that no one person can possess all of these gifts. They're meant to complement each other. And within that plurality of elders, what you see God designing is that complementary understanding that I'm not very strong in this area, but this brother is strong, and we work together. I, I appreciated one of Harvey's comments on this point. He said, this approach, when we begin to understand this, in fact, discourages narcissistic personalities who look to exercise unique and exclusive authority or control within a team. It doesn't allow that narcissist to begin to take over. I grew up in a church that was led by a narcissist, an authoritarian. It was his way or you can leave. And many people through the years did leave. It wasn't a pleasant experience. That brother could have used some other brothers to come alongside and help to lead the congregation with grace and with mercy. Plurality creates a leadership structure where men can model that unity again before the church. It creates a community of care and support and accountability that guards. And, and, and I think out of all of these things, this is the one that appeals to me the most. To have that positioned accountability. To have those that, that I can lean on and confess sin to and grow with qualified individuals working together in accountability with one another to, to properly and, and by the Spirit lead this particular church. It provides a mechanism to deal wisely and collaboratively, I know this is wordy, with institutional necessities of the local church. Let me give you an example of what this means. Um, I can't even remember what the situation was. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, we had to have a quick business meeting after the service to vote on something. It was something we were going to purchase. It was going to cost, you know, $1,000, something along those lines. And our bylaws stipulate that we need to, we need to vote on those kinds of things. And uh, somebody came up to me afterwards and was like, why, why do we have to vote on that? Isn't there people that can just make that decision? Don't we have leaders that can just make those decisions, say, this is what we need to do? 
And uh, I was like, yeah, I agree with you. Hopefully we're moving in that direction. I'm not saying we don't vote on anything, but I'm saying these are qualified men who are called to lead and help make some of those decisions that need to be made in the moments and during the week, not having to call for the vote of the whole church. This church has entrusted some of those decisions to them. I'm not saying elders are going to build a building and you don't know anything about it or, or make uh, crazy decisions. We're still a congregational church. Uh, we still are congregational and led in such a manner, but led by elders. And then I liked the last one here too. Finally, plurality contradicts the idea of a singular genius. <laughs> and most of you know, I'm far from genius. I'm close. Well, maybe I'm close. Some of you would think. It just doesn't exist. We're meant to work in community. We're meant to work in team. It's what we see happening within the Godhead itself, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And plurality helps that to be expressed. The, the, the final benefit that I would add is simply this. I believe it is the biblical model. I believe this is what Jesus intended uh, as he handed over the church to the apostles to continue to build and to continue to grow. Now, I know this has been quite different from what we normally do. Uh, this is far more informative uh, than what we would normally do as we look through Scripture. That's what happens when you, you kind of focus in on one word and you're not looking at the whole. Uh, more academic, but, but here's, here's the reason. It was necessary. It really is necessary for us as a church to get a bird's eye view of what we're, we're looking at and talking about when we're talking about elders and having a plurality of those elders here at Meadowview Baptist Church. As the elder and pastor overseer here, uh, it is my responsibility to lead and to teach Scripture, to help us to understand these things. It's not about my agenda. Um, it's about Jesus' agenda. It's about what he wants for his church. It's not uh, about properly ordering uh, and building my church, it's his church. It's not your church, it's his church. He's the one building, he's the one growing. But I also wanna add in here, I, I love this church. You're my family. I wanna see us um, following Jesus with greater faithfulness, with greater fervency. I want to see us cultivating fruit of the Spirit that, that can only be explained through, through the revival, the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. I want to see that work accomplished here. I want to see us reaching this community with the gospel of Jesus. I want to see lives being changed. I want us to feed them. I want us to clothe them. I want us to do all of those, those good things that need to be done. But I also want to see their hearts regenerated as we move forward. Let me mention a couple things as we wind down. I realize today may create more questions than answer questions for you, and that's okay. This isn't something we're ramrodding through uh, this is something we're going to talk about next week and the week after that and all the way as we move throughout the fall. But, but if you have questions, please let me know. Shoot me an email. If I can't answer you in that moment, I'll, it'll be in a sermon. It's something we're going to talk about at some point because I want us to be abundantly clear and see from Scripture what we're talking about here. 
As a matter of fact, next week, we're looking at 1 Peter 5. You can read ahead, study ahead, as we look at, at what is an elder supposed to do. What does it mean to shepherd people? Uh, what, what are some of those qualifications? Those are the things that's coming up. You see those in Titus 1, 6 through 9. Here are the qualifications that an elder must meet. And we'll continue to find bits of instruction along the way. And in the meantime, I ask you what I asked you last week. Join me in praying every day that God would give us wisdom here. That God would be the guide in helping us to establish elders here at Meadowview, just as Titus was called to establish elders in those churches on Crete. I am far from a perfect leader. I do not have all the answers. There are no perfect leaders. There are no leaders who have all the answers. There's no collective group of leaders that if you put them together, they're perfect or they have all the answers. Except one. Except one. As we move forward into uncharted waters, at least for us, I have one hope. And we read it, we read it in that first Peter passage. If you're still there, you can you can glance at it. First Peter five. Here's the line. When the chief shepherd appears. That's my hope. When the chief shepherd appears. Who, who is this chief shepherd that, that Peter's writing about? Who, who is this chief shepherd that, that Peter's encourages us to, to look for? It's Jesus. The good shepherd. It's his church. He's the chief shepherd. He's the chief elder. He's the chief overseer. He's the one building his church. The chief shepherd is building his church. The, the chief shepherd is feeding this church. The, the chief shepherd is the one who is sanctifying his church. I, I love what, what Paul writes in, in Ephesians where he says that he's, he's washing it. He's renewing it. He's making it his own. The chief shepherd is the one who's comforting his church in seasons of grief. Ah, and the chief shepherd is the one who will return to rescue his church, to bring his bride home. Take hope, Meadowview. Take heart. Take courage, my friends. As we said last week, keep one eye on the sky as we await the return of our chief shepherd. And let's keep our, our noses in the book as we move forward. Let it be a lamp to our feet. Let it be a light to our path as we strive to be faithful, to be the body, to be the church that he calls us to be. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head with me this morning. This response could be, could go a lot of different directions. For some of us, as we just think about these truths, some of you may be hearing some of these things for the first time, this idea of, of elders. You've read it, but you've never really thought about that plural term. Maybe for you, it's just a prayer that says, God, I... I need help to, to just put some of these pieces together. Let your word be a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. 
For others in the room, it may be that First Timothy 3 verse. If you aspire to the office of an overseer, who are are these elders going to be? Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to begin to pray in that direction. God in time will make that clear for us as a church. I wholeheartedly believe that. But maybe there's certain qualifications that you know you're not meeting and you need to grow in faithfulness. Maybe the commitment you make today is just, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray right now during this time that God would give us wisdom. And maybe it's that last little statement that we made considering those words. Man, I, I just need the chief shepherd right now. I need his comfort. I need his sanctifi- sanctifying work in my life. And you need to cry out to him. If, if you're here today, and all of this is new to you, this, this Jesus we're talking about, that we, we sang about, please understand this, that he is as real as you and me. And he is the God who left heaven to come to rescue us, his people who had gone astray in our own sin. He did that through the cross as he takes our sin away from us. He did that through the empty tomb as he offers us his righteousness and his life. We can be restored through him. That's the good news. That's the message of Jesus. And if that's a message you have never received and believed and put your faith in, then today is the day to cry out to him. Save me. We want to answer your questions. If you have any questions, I'm going to be quiet in just a moment and you can pray. If you, if you want to talk to somebody, you need to talk to somebody, there's a room just over here to my right that's called the prayer room. You can make your way there. We'll, we'll open up God's word. We'll pray with you. But I'm going to give you a moment to pray right now. Father, what a joy it is to be an under-shepherd, an under-elder to Jesus. pray that you would help me to be faithful to that position, that title, the calling. Even as we move forward as a church and we're, we're trying to consider these things and we want to be, we want to be biblical. We want to do it as, as right as we know to do it. And I've always appreciated that about this church. But God, we need a lot of grace and we need a lot of guidance. We need a lot of wisdom. And I pray that you would, you would provide that for us. And so, Lord, help us as we navigate these waters and move forward. Lord, we trust you that you will raise up those who are called to lead. Lord, that you will continue to build your church. Sanctify us as we move forward. What a joy it is to do life together. I thank you for each and every one who's here today. God, I'm grateful for our visitors, our return visitors who have joined us. And so we pray now just your, your gracious blessing as we, as we leave together today. And we ask these things and we pray. 
In Jesus' name.